Good morning. My name is Amanda Sogstead, and today our scripture reading comes from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Well, this past week was my kid's last week of school, and it's particularly meaningful because it was also Friday was Bryn's last day of elementary school. <laughs> and so the reality of having a tween is strong in our household. And quite frankly, I'm just not really ready to have a middle schooler in my home yet. And um, just a few weeks ago, the reality of having a tween came home to roost when all in one day, Bryn lost a tooth at school, so it's kind of like elementary school, and then that very night we had the middle school preview sneak peek visitation thing. So it's like we're living in both worlds, and we certainly have a tween, which has me realizing that shockingly, we're over the halfway point with Bryn under our roof already. We've already have more years with Bryn under our roof behind us than are still in front of us. Which has me thinking, boy, I hope I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, because this time is going really fast. And Proverbs 22.6 really gets at this when, I'm sure many of us have heard this before, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It has me asking myself, am I doing this? Am I training my kids in the faith? Am I doing what the Lord requires of me? Am I fulfilling my duties as a parent to the children that the Lord has blessed me with? And many times when we look at this verse or have read this verse in the past, we think in that nuclear family context. We have that picture of a family, a mother, and a father raising their children in the faith in the ways they ought to. Certainly that's the image that comes to my mind as I think about where I'm at with my own kids. So we often have this nuclear family picture in our heads when we look at Proverbs 22.6. But I think that Proverbs 22.6 certainly does apply to the nuclear family, and we might say it even first and foremost applies to the nuclear family. But I think the Bible expands the context out beyond the nuclear family more often than we Westerners even realize. Because the Bible talks about all the time, especially the wisdom literature. Look at Proverbs 24.3. A house is built by wisdom. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. And then even the, the woman described in Proverbs 31, look at verses 15 and 21. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Then verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household because she lives in Wisconsin. No, for all, <laughs> for all her household are clothed in scarlet. So two references to the household for the Proverbs 31 woman. Look at Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. So the wisdom literature is especially positioned upon households. But then you have Moses at the end of his life in Deuteronomy when he gives his final instructions to the Israelite people before they enter the promised land. And Moses, right before Moses turns over the keys to Joshua, Moses instructs the households. Look at what he says famously in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then here we go. You shall teach them and diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house 
And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And then even in the New Testament, for example, the Philippian jailer, when Paul and Silas were broken out of prison in the middle of the night, and the Philippian jailer says to Paul and Silas, how can I be saved? Let's pick it up in Acts 16, 29 to 32. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. So it wasn't just the individual jailer, it was the jailer's household. And so the Bible talks over and over again about this thing called the household. And the difficulty for us as Westerners is there is not a one-to-one corollary between the biblical household and some sort of living arrangement that we Westerners generally find ourselves in. It's kind of hard for us to find a, a, a substitute for the biblical household. In fact, scholar Brenda Colleen says this, when you read about a household in the Old Testament, you are reading about an extended family plus others that are connected in an intimate way to their family, all living life together. So it's bigger than the nuclear family. The biblical household is this thing that's bigger. One of the ways we can try to kind of get an idea of what the biblical household was like is you take the nuclear family or the people living under your roof and then there was also extended family members that lived in that same household context. This is the biblical household. It's the nuclear family plus these other people. And it's hard for us as Westerners to get a a handle on the biblical household because it's bigger than the nuclear family, but it's smaller than your church family. Bigger than the nuclear family, smaller than the church family, and we Westerners don't necessarily have a regular experience of a group that size or a group of that type of makeup. So another way that we can try to figure out what our biblical household might look like or if we're trying to map our biblical household, you ask yourself two questions. Number one, who's under my roof? So for many of us, this is the nuclear family. Who's under my roof? That's the first category. But then you add on to that, who are the other significant relationships in my life? Who are the people that feel like family? Or maybe we have family members that don't necessarily live under our roof but come over frequently. Or maybe we have close friends that spend a lot of time under our roof. Right? Who's under my roof? But then also, who are the other significant relationships that spend a lot of time with us? And this would be the biblical household or the best idea that we can come up with for the biblical household. And Proverbs 22.6 certainly applies to the nuclear family, but I think the Bible has a bigger context in mind when it gives us Proverbs 22.6. I think the Bible applies Proverbs 22.6 not only to the nuclear family, but to the biblical household. When I was at Eco National Gathering this past January, I went to this workshop where some research was being presented by Barna Research, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, that's like a Christian research group, in conjunction with a, a, a ministry called Lutheran Hour Ministries. And they did research on spiritually vibrant households. And so what they did is they looked at this concept of the biblical household, and they said, who is living into that? Who is living the faith? Who's maturing in the faith? Who's living out the faith across these biblical households? And then what are the common things that we're seeing in these spiritually mature, spiritually vibrant Proverbs 22.6 households? What makes a Proverbs 22.6 household? And what I like is rather than just laser focusing on the nuclear family, as we are wont to do in 
Christianity often, is they looked at biblical households. So they surveyed people with grandparents living in the home. They surveyed young married couples. They surveyed people who have extended relatives living in the house. Maybe, maybe it's a, an empty nester couple. Maybe it's a single parent. So this the family structures far and wide because they're looking at biblical households, not just nuclear families, and saying, what's making these people spiritually mature? How are they living into Proverbs 22.6? Now I should make a point here to say that this is looking at mature households. Not just every household, mature households. People who are living out the faith well. So this would exclude God-dishonoring living situations, all right, such as a couple that's not married that's living together or like a homosexual type of situation. Those would be excluded from this because they're looking at who is living into the faith in a mature way regardless of what the family structure is because we want to see biblical households. And I like this because I think sometimes we can get kind of laser focused on the nuclear family here in Christianity. And look at this. This is from the study. Barna projects that between one in ten to one in five practicing Christians live alone without anyone else in their home. That's upwards of 20% of Christians that are living by themselves in their house. That's a lot of the population of Christianity. But this survey covers biblical households, not just nuclear families. And so what did they find? What are, they found three habits of spiritually mature Proverbs 22.6 households. Here are the things that families that are living into, or households that are living into Proverbs 22.6 are doing. Number one habit of a Proverbs 22.6 biblical household, praying together and reading the Bible together. Proverbs 22.6 households prayed together at least once daily and then read the Bible at least once per week. And the key word is together, not just on their own, but they were praying together daily and they were reading the Bible together once per week. And I love this because what this means is that prayers before meals and prayers before bedtime are not just perfunctory things that we perform. They're actually vehicles for discipling the people in your household. Praying together before meals is a is a, a lab, it's a classroom for catechizing the people in your household in the faith. It's not just a perfunctory thing. In my household, it, I mean, sometimes it just seems so simple, but yet it's had these amazing effects of raising people in the faith. And in my household, there's no rhyme or reason. Some, sometimes I'll pray, sometimes I'll ask one of my kids to pray. It's just like, who do I feel like praying this time? And either I'll pray or I'll ask one of the kids to pray, I'll ask Morgan to pray. And we pray with the kids before bed. And so prayer before bed and before meals matters. And then these families read the Bible together, not once per day, once per week. It's like, can I read the Bible with my kids once per week? Like, I think so. I think I can make that bar. When I was a youth pastor, this, uh, one of the, uh, you know, uh, the parent, not really the parent, well, here, how do I get into this? When I was a youth pastor, I heard this amazing story from one of the families that was in our youth ministry. And she said, Bill, I've been reading the Bible to the kids in my home. And here's the most amazing thing is the kids she was reading the Bible to, they were not her biological children. She was their stepmom. So this is a, a biblical household situation, not a nuclear family situation, a biblical household situation because you have a stepmom who's reading the Bible to the children in her home, to her stepkids. And she's like, we just started with Genesis 1-1 
And we just kept on reading. She's like, and we just made it through numbers. She's like, boy, that was hard. She's like, and now we're about to turn to Deuteronomy and I don't think it's going to get much better. And I'm like, I think you're right about that. You know, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you plowed through numbers and now you're going to plow through Deuteronomy? I'm like, I'm like, first of all, I was super excited. Like, I told her, I was like, good for you. That's amazing. But I also was a little bit taken aback because I'm like, I don't, I'm not reading numbers or Deuteronomy with my kids. Like, I'm going to choose something a little more interesting <laughs> than that, right? I mean, there's some interesting things in numbers especially, but, but boy, if you start reading the Bible in Genesis 1, I mean, most people peter out if they even get to it, like the latter half of Exodus when you get the temple instructions because it just goes on and on. Half the book of Exodus is temple instructions. And you're just like, ooh. And they plowed all the way to Deuteronomy. Right? But reading the Bible together matters once per week. So Proverbs 22.6 households prayed together, read the Bible together, and then another habit is they had faith conversations. They created space within the biblical household to talk about the deep things of life. First and foremost, faith. And what's really interesting is you can't force a conversation like that. You can't force someone to spill their guts. Sorry, moms. My mom was guilty. Of it. Like you, can't, you can't force someone to spill their guts. But you can create the environment where it's more likely to happen. You can create the environment where it's more likely to have a faith conversation. And so here's a really interesting thing is the research showed that there was a correlation, not a causation, but a correlation between families that did lots of things together and families that were having faith conversations. So families that were having more fun together were having more faith conversations. Families that were going and doing, going to the park together were having more faith conversations. Families that were taking drives together were having more faith conversations because the car is sacred, right? It's a captive audience. Your kids are stuck in a jail on wheels. What are you going to do? Talk. That's what you're going to do. So ask a question. Hey, what are you learning about? What's the Lord teaching you? What are you reading about? What are the questions that God's putting on your heart? You know, what do you wonder about? What are you curious about? The car is a perfect faith conversation. So it's no wonder that the families that were having fun together we're having more faith conversations. Isn't this cool that even the fun that households can have together can be sacred and can be a vehicle for discipleship, for doing Proverbs 22.6? I gotta tell you, I admire Ben Cole and Sherry Ziegler because they have this value. They have the value of having fun with their families. I mean, Ben Cole's always at some exotic location with his daughters and they're climbing through the water and one time I asked him I'm like hey where was that waterfall this is actually his picture he took he's like well that was Fawn Ferris Glen just south of Green Bay I was like I gotta go there so he told me about Fawn Ferris Glen we went to Fawn Ferris Glen this natural form this natural waterfall that the family just donated the land on the farm to make it out of a, a park so the public could just enjoy the waterfall you can put your head in the water you can walk through the river it's awesome so we my flip-flop fell off yeah so we we've been there so Ben told us about Fonferric. We went there. Then Sherry had some family coming in out of town, and she's like, hey, we're thinking about going up to Lambeau. What are some fun things that we could do with this family out of town? And we're like, go to Fonferric's waterfall, you know? So she goes, and they find this. No water in the waterfall. Totally dry. And we're like, so she sends me this picture, and I'm just like, we're all like, oh, no. Why did we tell you? to go there and we're like, now you'll never take advice, fun advice from us again, right? But they have this value, having fun together. And I admire families that have this value because fun is actually an environment 
for faith conversations and discipleship to happen. Families that are living into Proverbs 22.6, I keep saying families, biblical households that are living into Proverbs 22.6 are having faith conversations and they're creating the environment for faith conversations to happen. Third habit of households living into Proverbs 22.6 is they are welcoming guests into the home. Who would have thought that welcoming people that are not under your roof normally into your home is actually a vehicle for discipling? for discipling the people in your household. In fact, many Christians are starting to make the case that the table is actually the most important piece of furniture in your home. The table, spiritually, is the most important piece of furniture in your home. Now, I think, quality of life-wise, the bed is the most important piece of furniture in your home. You just gotta get a good night's sleep, or you aren't gonna be able to do anything. But spiritually, yes, the table is the most important piece of furniture in your home. And my friend Brian Jacobson knew this, and. He actually built his own dining room table, and maybe you can't see it, but he actually put like a J in there and then glossed over the top, and it's like a work of art so that they had lots of space to invite people into their home, and, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for all those of you who invite house church homes over and over again. The research is showing us that simply by hosting house church, you're actually spiritually discipling people that come under your roof. You're discipling your household simply by opening up your home, and we're all super geared up about 249 Main Street. I'm included. You're going to hear an update about it later today. But as we move into that space to call our own, I want to be sure that at the same time that we enjoy this gift that the Lord is giving us of 249 Main Street, at the same time, I want to be sure that we don't lose this household part of our identity as a church because so much of what we've done have been under the roofs of you willing and generous people to open your homes. I don't want to lose that. So it's interesting that houses that invited people in we're spiritually mature. We're living into Proverbs 22.6. So three habits of Proverbs 22.6 households. Praying and reading the Bible together, creating the environment for faith conversations to happen, and welcoming guests. Now some of you are asking the question, what if I don't have kids in my house? What if my kids are grown or we're empty nesters or we never had children? What if I don't have kids in my house? We're young married couples. We don't have kids yet. Well, here's where I go back to why I get so excited about this research, because again, they didn't just focus on the nuclear family, they focused on the biblical household, something that's bigger than the nuclear family, people and their most significant relationships. That's what they focused on. And so be thinking, if you're in the situation where you're like, what if I don't have kids in my house, who are the significant relationships in your life, and can you practice any of these habits with those significant relationships? Can you invite someone into your home, have a dinner party, Invite a neighbor over. You're having a fire outside. In fact, we had a neighbor over impromptu the other night. We had the solo stove going. My neighbor says, Bill, is that a solo stove? I said, yeah, come on over. So she comes over. We're talking about the solo stove, and we meet her boyfriend, and it was great, just impromptu. We want a s'more. She didn't want a s'more, but offered one up to her. It was great. Do you have someone in your life that you can invite over to your house, throw a meal for them, open your doors? Maybe there's someone at your work that you can have a faith conversation with. Over lunch, maybe eat lunch next to somebody at lunchtime, and it's like, hey, what do you believe? What do you believe about life? You know? Is there something you can do with someone who has a significant, who you have a significant relationship in your life? Is there a habit you can put into play? Maybe there's someone who you know is a believer, and you're like, hey, can we just read the Bible together and pray together? Maybe you come in 10 minutes early to work, and you're like, let's just, let's just come in early, and then we'll pray together before the workday for one another. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. Or you have a friend you can call up 
on your drive-in to work or something and say, all right, hey, let's pray. I'll pray over you, you pray over me. Is there a habit you can put into play in your biblical household, not just uh, a nuclear family situation? Wondering, what if I don't have kids in my house? Well, there's lots of things you can do because this is about biblical households, not just nuclear families. And then some of you are asking, well, what if my kids don't believe? What if I did my best to do Proverbs 22.6 and it just breaks my heart because my kids don't profess faith, they're not living the faith, In fact, some of them might even be hostile to the faith. So what do I do? Well, number one, we have to remember that Proverbs are not promises, okay? The book of Proverbs are not promises. What Proverbs says is, if you do this, then odds are better that this will be the outcome. But there's no guarantee that this will be the outcome. If you do this, Odds are better that you'll have a good outcome, but again, we live in a sinful and fallen world, and that might not be the outcome that you would have hoped for. Proverbs plays the odds, but they are not promises. So there are no guarantees on the outcomes when it comes to Proverbs. If you're asking, what if my kids don't believe, remember, Proverbs are not promises, but also I would remind us, and here's where our Reformed theological tradition is so encouraging and wonderful and beautiful, and that is if you have children who do not believe, remember, salvation from beginning until completion is a work of God's and God's alone. Salvation is God's work. It's God who sends his Holy Spirit to draw someone to himself. And it's God whose Holy Spirit regenerates the person and gives them faith to believe in Jesus. And it's God who conforms this person and sanctifies them and shapes them into the image of Jesus. From beginning to completion, salvation is entirely a work of the Lord's. And we might say, well, if there's anything that we do at all, it's a response to the Lord and the drawing. But even that response is only made possible by the Holy Spirit who enlivens a dead person to respond. So from beginning to completion, salvation is a work of the Lord's. So pray your heart out. If you don't have children who believe, beg the Lord and say, God, you're the one who saves. Save. Save now, Lord. What if I have children who don't believe? A third thing I'd say is something really cool that came out of this Barna Luther Hour Ministry study is it's showing the impact of grandparents in the biblical household. There's these categories, and at the top of every category is grandparents. All right, so grandparents are seen as safe individuals to come to for faith conversations. There's been doors for these deeper, maybe more difficult conversations. They're, they're the point people. In most situations, they're the point person. So what they're finding is when it comes to these habits of the biblical household, it usually takes a point person. It usually takes someone to say, we're going to pray before this meal or we're going to pray before bed or we're going to invite these people over. It takes someone who, who, who needs to take charge of the situation and say, we're going to do this. And usually that instigator, that point person, is a grandparent. And so there's a wide open door with grandparents for kids, for faith conversations. You're seen as a safe, approachable individual. I mean, think about it, right? When you got something deep going on, would you rather go to mom and dad or grandpa and grandma? It's like totally grandpa and grandma. They're safe. They're not going to punish you, (laughs) right? So they're totally safe. So the impact of grandparents or a grandparenty type figure is huge. 
So if you have kids who don't believe, if they have kids, then as a grandparent, that's a wide open door to the grandchildren and pray that the Lord uses the grandchildren as a way of salvation to your children. Open that door as wide as possible and live into that grandparently role with the grandchildren as much as possible. And many of you are doing that. Many of you are opening that door as wide as possible with the grandkids. These are Proverbs 22.6 households. And it's interesting that the Bible makes so much about the biblical household because this was Jesus' way, wasn't it? I mean, when he came and launched his earthly ministry, he went into the synagogue to preach and teach, definitely, was out in the public preaching and teaching, definitely. But where did he set up ministry headquarters? At the household of Simon Peter. And that was ministry HQ. And how often do we see someone coming to faith in Jesus in a household context? Or he's eating a meal, or he's spending time with the family, where he's being welcomed in, where he's welcoming the crowd into Simon Peter's family household, right? The household is Jesus' way. And when we place our faith in Jesus, we become children of God. You're not a child of God until you believe in Jesus. Everyone's made in the image of God, but only those who believe in Jesus are children of God because you're adopted into his family when you believe. And so Proverbs 22.6 is actually telling us, train children to become children of God. Train children to become children of God. So I'll just close this message with John 1.12, which says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We train our children to become children of God.